Hello and welcome to This Is Not a Dream, This Is COVID-19, a production sponsored by the Keck Center for International and Strategic Studies at Claremont McKenna College. I am your host, Maddie Quinn. This podcast was created to inform the audience about different experts' opinions of the virus and how to move forward. In particular, I have brought together a group of experts that have insights on the international and local responses to the virus and the social implications. I want to encourage you to listen to the full series due to the urgency of the pandemic, but I also encourage you to do some additional research and reading so that you can create your own opinions. This episode will cover the scientific perspective of the virus from the Utah State epidemiologist Angela Dunn and Arwen Tobolsky, a fellow CMC student who worked in a COVID vaccine research lab this summer. Hi, Dr. Dunn. Thank you so much for being here today. To start, could you please tell me a little bit about your background? So I, gosh, I mostly grew up in Texas, lived in Chicago for a while, um, went to college at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and then medical school at the University of Miami in Florida, um, and then made my way to Southern California for residency and um, did a year of primary care there. Um, and then moved to Utah for a fellowship with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, I was based in Utah, so now I'm in Utah um, serving as the state epidemiologist. Impressive background. For my first question, I'm wondering what you thought of the federal government response to the pandemic. It's hard, obviously. Um, I think the federal response um, was different in what we were expecting from that, it wasn't a coordinated federal response. They left a lot of options open to the state, I think, but when necessary supplies, like testing specimen, like testing testing supplies or personal protective equipment are in really short supply, but high demand, it helps to have the purchasing power and the organization at a federal level um, in order to make sure everybody's getting what they need. this federal response really um, leaned on states to do their own procurement of such things like testing supplies and PPE, which um, provided a more um, capitalistic approach, if you will, um, to the response. And I think that that limited our ability to attack COVID-19 cohesively as a country and to make sure states that had the biggest burden, we're getting the supplies they needed because it wasn't coordinated at that level. Um, and it resulted in states, you know, states, regional states coordinating together um, because it's so important to have that cross-border coordination in a pandemic. What did you think of Utah's pandemic response? And they actually saw that trajectory from the federal government very early and, and jumped on the opportunities to secure supplies very quickly for the states because they saw that it will be almost like every state out for themselves. Um, so our government was very quick to react in that way, which allowed you know, our healthcare providers to have all the PPE they needed. It allowed our testing to ramp up very quickly. Um, so, so Utah fared very well in, in this dynamic, um, but it's probably not the same for all states. What's Utah's current capacity to test, and do you have any suggestions to make it better? So, I mean, in Utah, we have a great capacity to test. Um, We are able to do the gold standard PCR test, which is a nasopharyngeal swab, 
um, on approximately 9,000 people a day. So we, we are nowhere near that in terms of what our demand is. So what we're seeing is a decrease in demand for that type of test. So what's really needed now is to adopt testing technology that is more rapid and less invasive. Um, and again, that's going to rely on a, on a federal response because we need to um, make sure that the big manufacturers out there have the incentives necessary to start investigating and producing more of these rapid but accurate and less invasive testing technology. Um, because we're finding people are just less tolerant of having a swab stuck out their nose. So Definitely. I think hopefully new testing technologies will become widely available soon, but I guess we'll see. For my next question, I'm wondering if you have any worries going into flu season this fall slash winter. Every respiratory virus in flu season, our hospitals max out on their capacity. So the thought of having flu season on top of COVID is really scary from the sense of um, maxing out our hospital capacity and having to ration care, and nobody wants to do that. The good news is when we're looking at the Southern Hemisphere, you know, South Africa, South America, Australia, they've actually had a very, very mild flu season, and that's usually a good prediction of what's going to happen here. But the reason they've had a mild flu season is because they have all these social distancing measures in place from COVID that people aren't spreading flu. So COVID is much more transmissible than flu. So the measures we take to protect ourselves against COVID are very, very effective against flu. So I'm hopeful that um, not only will people have greater uptake of the flu vaccine this fall and winter, but also that our prevention measures will hold so that we just don't have a hard flu season. Well, I think it's really great that South Africa and Latin America have seen less instances of the flu. So I hope that that will be the case for us this fall. Have you heard anything about the Russian vaccine that's going out that has been talked about in the past couple of weeks or have any other information? I haven't, but, um, you know, I think we're all cautious about um, accepting that as a vaccine that would be viable for actually preventing COVID in large amounts of people, um, given the short time frame and, and the research and development on it. It is incredibly difficult to make vaccines, especially for a new virus. That time, you no matter what, you're gonna need time to be able to see if people actually develop immunity. And so it is a little suspicious given the really short time frame. So I think time will tell. Absolutely. I think time will really tell what's going to happen in the next couple of months with that particular vaccine. In terms of new cases, what are the demographics of the positive test results? We have started seeing a slightly younger age of people testing positive here in Utah. Um, And that's across the board, and that's consistent with national um, trends as well. And and that's probably going to continue as we open up schools, as younger people testing positive. Do you expect spikes in cases in young people as these universities in Salt Lake City and surrounding area open this fall? We'll have cases as a result of schools reopening, both at K-12 and higher ed. Um, Every university has different plans for reopening. Um, The University of Utah in particular has a very robust testing plan because they have have the advantage of ARUP. Um, So I think even so, despite that, um, ultimately comes down to individual actions. And we know that college age adults 
are much more likely to be social and think they're invincible. And so um, I, I just strongly encourage everyone that's going out there in the university setting to still physically distance and wear masks um, because we know that what happens in, in the university setting will likely spill into Right, and kind of going into the different stages of reopening, do you have any suggestions for the way businesses should reopen as we see universities reopening here in Salt Lake City and surrounding areas as well? The key thing is that people need to feel safe and they need to be safe. Um, and we know the things that, one, as an individual, don't go out if you're sick, and also don't go out if you're a close contact to a confirmed case. Definitely businesses requiring masks is super important. Um, we've been doing observational studies of, of watching people entering businesses and seeing the compliance with masks. And if a business has a sign on the door that says masks are required, people are much more likely to wear them in the business. And so that is something that I think all businesses should take upon themselves to just put a sign in the door, have their employees wear masks, require that of their patrons, and we'll all be safer. And that'll increase consumer confidence, right? So people will feel safe going into those stores. Um, I think the other piece is for um, businesses to be very responsible about spacing and distancing um, and just kind of practice those good practices so that we normalize being further apart and we normalize wearing masks. And like I said, that will only serve to increase consumer confidence and get people engaged in the economy more. Absolutely. And I think you've provided some really great suggestions. So thank you. And my next and final question is about the ski resorts in Park City and in the surrounding area. Just in terms of, I know that they attract a lot of tourists. And so do you think that they'll open? And do you think that there will be enhanced guidelines in place because there is a little bit more risk attached with visitors. Oh, who knows, right? Um, I mean, that's what started the outbreak here. Summit County had was our first hotspot because of ski season. So I think time will tell. I, I think I definitely think the slopes will open because there's not a lot of risk there, but it's the question is, are the restaurants and bars and all that? Um, so it's definitely something we need to take into consideration, but honestly, right now, right, Utah is just as much of a hotspot as, as any other state. And so um, we're in a different situation than we were last year. Right now, it's much more widespread across the US. So I'm not sure there's any greater risk um, from domestic travel as there was before. Well, I think that's really interesting. Thank you for providing me with your insights today. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing to kind of help the state battle the coronavirus pandemic. For the next part of this episode, I will be interviewing a fellow CMC student, Anwen Tobolsky, about her experience working in a COVID vaccine research lab. Hi, Anwen. Thank you so much for joining me. For my first question, I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your day-to-day experiences in the lab. Basically, um, on Mondays, we had a meeting Monday where all of the data that we had gathered and analyzed from the last weeks was presented to all of the groups because there are different research groups at the university, like in the Center for Translational Medicine, for example, some people are working on developing new flu vaccines, whereas like I was on the COVID team. Um, but on days other than Mondays, the majority of the work I did was running ELISAs. So an ELISA is an assay technique designed for detecting and quantifying soluble substances 
So in our case, we were trying to do that with antibodies, um, which are basically your immune response to a virus. And so that was pretty much my daily thing was just get into work and run an ELISA for the day and then repeat that over and over and over again. So I did a lot of them. Um, but occasionally we also worked with mice. Um, so I would inject mice with vaccine candidates or we would have harvest days where we'd wake up very early and harvest the spleens and lymph nodes from mice that have contained the vaccine for a certain period of time. And then we would process these organs down to eventually have the cells from these organs isolated as serum, which were then used for more ELISAs. As tedious as that work sounds, I really appreciate you putting in that work for the greater good. I think it's really important and useful, so thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the PPE requirements you had to wear while you were working in the lab? Always had to wear masks, of course, um, and we had lab coats and the classic gloves, um, and then sometimes we would wear goggles, but it wasn't that extreme for the most part because the stuff we were working with wasn't that dangerous since it was so isolated. Um, but you did have to make sure, you know, be washing your hands pretty regularly. And we were often working in a fume hood to make sure that we had good airflow. Well, I'm glad that you were given the proper PPE, but also, you know, were aware of the ramifications. So you wash your hands a lot. And I think that's really important in any lab setting, especially a vaccine lab. For my next question, I'm wondering what the most challenging part of your summer research experience was. Patience was probably the hardest thing. Um, like with Eliza's and that type of work, you know, when you're doing research, it's really repetitive. And a lot of times you do something the first time and it doesn't work. And so you have to do it again. And then sometimes it still doesn't work. So you have to just keep doing it over and over again. Um, and the patience also, I think, goes along with the the perspective kind of of what people have with scientific research and you know having to have patience with you're doing this work that you feel is really important and a lot of people are discrediting it and telling you that it's not enough that if you make a vaccine they won't even take it um, and so you have to learn to be very patient well i really appreciate that insight i think patience is really important for everybody in this process um so i think that's a really great thing that you've alluded to and and I don't know if you really necessarily know the answer but I'm wondering if you've noticed any tensions with the state versus science because I think I've noticed a little bit in throughout this process throughout the summer is just the U.S. hasn't always taken like the scientific experts opinion seriously and so I'm just wondering if you noticed any signs like that. My perspective the state government of Montana, so I'm in Montana right now, by the way, um, has been taking actions that I think do align with the scientific research that's coming out. Like we have a statewide mask mandate now, um, and which is nice because Montana has had relatively low case numbers for this whole pandemic, but they're still taking actions like that. The hard thing is that there's no enforcement for any of the policies that are being brought up. And so I think a lot of citizens are still just saying like, well, whatever, no one's gonna tell me I can't wear a mask. You know, like they're saying we can't, but there's still, there's no enforcement for it. Um, but I do agree, I think in general, in the population I've seen, especially in rural areas in Montana, where people have limited internet access or limited resources to be doing research or anything like that, 
there's definitely a lot of tension between people and facts and lots of Facebook reading and arguments. Um, like similarly to what you mentioned, I think a lot of people have resumed regular activities here since we haven't had that many cases. Um, and I have heard of quite a few conflicts in businesses and local businesses where people are refusing to wear masks. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch. I think the United States have this huge divide of, you know, masks versus no masks. But I really appreciate everything you've said so far. I think you make a very strong like case to like give scientists more credit for what they're doing, especially right now. And I think not enough people are really thanking them for putting in the effort and putting in the work. And so I want to thank you for doing that. Um, and my last question is if you have any additional comments about the pandemic and, you know, any further insights. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is just kind of a generalized, like, I think what's really, really been hurting me is seeing how divided people have been on this issue, especially like you were saying, you know, a lot of people are saying this is a hoax and it's not true. And being someone who worked on this every single day for 11 weeks like, it's not fake, you know, there, there might be some stretched truths for political reasons, given that the election is coming up, but the virus itself is not fake. You know, I, we were working with it, I was tangibly, like, working with it. Um, but I really think that working together right now is the only way to find a fast solution. And so it's really frustrating seeing how many people are tearing each other down and so quick to judge. Um, everyone reacts really differently to traumatic events, for example, a pandemic. And I think the best the U.S. specifically can do right now is try to meet in the middle rather than completely steering one direction or another, which appears to be what's happening. Um, that said, yeah, again, like the, the doubt in science is really frustrating. Scientists are not out to get you. Like we're not out here trying to like make you have a worse life. Um, people are dedicating a lot of time and effort and resources to find the best solutions for you. You know, like that's the reason that working. So I really hope that moving forward, um, more people will take the time, I think, to research the information that they read and make more evidence-based decisions for themselves with real scientific backing. You know, like what you were saying, you've spent a lot of time looking into it and you've learned a lot from it because when you actually take that time out of your day to, to see, okay, I saw this post, where is this information coming from? And then you go find the information, you're like, oh, was this an actual study that people committed at least, you know, a certain amount of weeks to with this many trials? Or was it just on a whim they decided like, oh, we saw this one positive result, so we're going to make a decision? Um, yeah, my kind of thing is like, if scientists are spending every day researching for you, you can take 30 minutes out of your day to do the same. Um, and I think everyone given the different ways that people react to trauma and to a pandemic, I think taking that time to research and get to know what you really think is true and what you really support will help you do what's best for yourself um, in terms of your mental health and all of that. Thank you. I really appreciate that last bit because I'm trying to provide a lot of different opinions for my listener, but I also want them to create their own opinions and kind of do additional research and reading because I think it's really important in this time period to not just 
take what you're hearing, but to take it to the next level and put in the other outside research because I think it's not only interesting but really important to educate yourself, especially during this time. Um, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate all the time and all the work that you did over the summer. I think it's so important and it's really very remarkable that you were able to do that kind of work. Thank you for listening to my short podcast series. I want to reiterate a couple of points that have the main findings of my summer research experience. First of all, I think it's important to take a step back and to realize that we are making history during this pandemic. No one has the right set of rules or guidelines. I sought to find these answers, but I realized that there's no correct answer and that everyone is trying their best and that's all we can ask for. I wanted to provide you with a wide variety of perspectives from different fields to highlight the importance of their work and the unprecedented measures that the pandemic has created. I also want to acknowledge the different effects that the pandemic will have on our world in the future, whether these impacts be economic, social, political, medical, scientific. My project has adapted quite a bit since starting, but it's similar to the nature of our environment currently because everything is so unknown and uncertain. Even though many people and Americans didn't like living in quarantine or lockdowns, I think the next step is accepting risks and living life in a, in a pandemic, knowing and acknowledging these risks. Until a vaccine, life can't be the same. And as scary as that sounds, the only thing I want people to take away from this project is having a better social awareness and understanding of how your actions can affect others. That being said, living in fear isn't sustainable either. Finding a balance is super important, especially during this time. I'm so grateful for having this opportunity to see the pandemic from so many different experts and their perspectives. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you so much for listening.